0: Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test Intelligence data Q3 2022 in Cox serviceable areas, visit Cox.com/internet for details.
1: This is Duncan Dynasty alongside Anthony Brown. I am Garrett Bougay. Thank you so much for joining us. On this episode, we are going to be talking about the greatest teams without a title. Uh, Anthony, when, when you think of some of the teams throughout the course of the history of the NBA, what's the first uh, one or two that come to your mind in terms of that team was really good and just you know had either some bad luck or just didn't play up to their usual standards when it mattered most.
2: Uh, I think of those teams that played against the Bulls in the nineties. So, <laughs> yeah, like usual. Uh, you know the the nineties Knicks teams and the the Suns teams uh, with uh, Charles Barkley.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The uh, that ninety three Suns team was certainly something special. Uh, we're gonna go through uh, kind of uh, decade by decade here. And just briefly talk about some of those teams that uh, we think were either um, well, and there's you know there's two different types of greatest teams to not win the title. There's there's teams that were good for an extended period of time over numerous years that failed to win. Right. Uh, but then there's also those just great teams for one particular season that just, Mm. you know, either came up against another amazing team at the wrong time uh, and and weren't able to pull it off. But uh, the the first team that, uh, you know, if we're talking about the 60s, the first Mm -hmm. team that comes to mind is those uh, Lakers teams with Jerry West and Elgin Baylor. You know, you've got arguably the best point guard and the best forward in the league at that time, Uh, But they just ran up against you know who with the Boston Celtics, (laughs) Bill Russell and Bob Cousy and Red Arbach and yeah,
2: um, winning eleven what is it eleven championships in thirteen years that Bill Russell was there. Yes, uh, makes it really hard to win a title against that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but they were they were amazing, West and Baylor.
1: Well, and and it wasn't a matter of. The stars of the Lakers teams, you know, failing to produce. West actually won an MVP. I forget exactly what year it was. I can't remember. Uh, But uh, he won an MVP as a member of the losing team to the Celtics. So, (laughs) you know, that's how good those Celtics teams were. They went up against other great teams, and those teams played well, yet they just weren't quite good enough. Not only, again, because you had the crazy competitive fire of Bill Russell, <laughs> but just the collection, as you mentioned, of, of the Koozies and the Havliceks and and all, and uh, Sam Jones. Oh You yeah. had a crazy collection of talent around uh, Bill Russell that had just made it uh, too much uh, to overcome for those Lakers teams. But certainly, they were good quite a few years there and just weren't able to get over the hump. Uh, Mm -hmm. until Wilt Chamberlain came through in 1972. right? Uh, But uh, now moving on to the 70s because, you know, really with the 60s, there's only really one because (laughs) it was basically Celtics-Lakers in most of the finals throughout the 60s. (laughs) So those were the two dominant teams. Uh, Moving on to the 70s, you've got uh, the first one that comes to mind for me is that 74 Milwaukee Bucks team with Oscar Robertson. Um, You know, Lou Alcindor, of course, who later became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Bob Dandridge, uh, that team was really excellent. They won the 71 title. uh, Hmm. And then in 74, they lost to the Celtics. And that was the series where uh, you had Dave Cowens was the center of the Celtics. Mm -hmm. And there was a little bit of a conspiracy there where... (laughs) uh there was a specific ref i don't remember his name i can't recall his name but um one ref uh was able to um officiate the four games in which the celtics won and any hmm. game he didn't officiate the bucks won huh.
2: and uh you know Lou alcindor <laughs> in
1: his book uh you know uh um talked about how In those four games that they lost, Dave Cowens was just basically able to maul him, jump over his back, and do all of these (laughs) sorts of things, Uh, and you know the bucks still were able to make that a seven game series kareem hit the sky hook to win game 6 at the buzzer i believe yeah. and uh but that was a team that uh you know it was towards the end of oscar's prime but kareem was just entering his his mm-hmm. prime as well uh, a team that uh you know maybe unfairly wasn't able to get the win <laughs> right uh looking at uh, another team from the 70s that uh weren't able to pull pull through but were really solid were those late 70s Sixers teams. Of course, that was in the middle of Dr. J's prime, uh, but they stumbled upon uh, of course, that Portland Trailblazers team with Bill Walton. And Bill oh, yeah. Walton was, was really the one full season where he was able to stay healthy and put it all together and be the dominant force that he was. Oh, yeah. Uh, you want to talk about a complete package for a center. I mean, <laughs> a healthy Bill
2: Walton can do like literally everything he can shoot, he can pass, he's blocking shots left and right. Uh,
1: yeah. Was Posting crazy. up, yeah. He was just absolutely dominant. And uh, the Sixers team, they had the likes of Dr. J. George McGinnis was a pretty good power forward that could score. Doug Collins, you know, the commentator, (laughs) he was a former number one overall pick. That was before he had a bunch of injuries. He was still relatively healthy, Mm -hmm. solid player. Henry Bibby, who was the dad of Mike Bibby, who played on those uh Kings teams right. in the in the two thousands. And then you also had World B Free, <laughs> who was one of the best scorers in the league, played on the Cavs and uh the San Diego Clippers and uh also the Sixers, but they had a, a great collection of talent yeah. just went up against an elite player in the best season of his career. Right, right. World we'll be Free is one of my dad's
2: favorite uh <laughs> this is actually one of my dad's favorite teams is those uh Late 70s. I think World Be Free
1: is every dad's favorite, <laughs> every dad's favorite. <laughs> favorite player. Uh, but yeah, yeah they, uh, and then also, the, you know, going into the early 80s, that 1980 Sixers team also uh, that lost to the Lakers in the final that year that Magic was a rookie and came mm-hmm. on and had the 40 point plus game six <laughs> when Kareem was was injured and, and took the Lakers to the title. Uh, but the Sixers definitely were a little bit unfortunate. It wasn't until Uh, Moses Malone came in 83 where they were able to push through with a team centered around Dr. J but certainly they had some really good teams Mm -hmm. Uh, another, um, another team that was good throughout the 80s but just you know it was unfortunate that they had to play in that decade because you had the Sixers, you had the Celtics, and you had the Pistons that were great, and even the Hawks with Dominique Wilkins. Right. Uh right. you had a bunch of great teams. Was the Milwaukee Bucks? Those 80s Bucks teams were really good and consistently, you know, into the playoffs, into the second round uh but just always went up against either the Celtics with Larry Bird or the uh the Sixers with Moses Malone and Dr. J or even the Pistons later on with Isaiah Thomas right. it just was a really unfortunate time but they had some pretty talented players oh yeah um
2: it's just it's one of the best decades of basketball you know <laughs> yeah. so going against those guys that you're saying it's it's tough.
1: Yeah, they had the likes of Sidney Moncrief, a really good, long defensive player. Uh, Terry Cummings was a good scoring power forward. Jack sigma, uh was, you know, a really good center. He, uh, um, you know, he's actually done a little bit of coaching as well. And you'll okay. see uh, Jonas Valanciunas, the center for the Raptors, he does the, they call it just the Sigma huh. where the center will, or a big man will put the ball above his head, and it'll appear like he's passing. Hmm. Uh, but because he's got the the size advantage, he then just shoots in a oh. standstill jumper uh so it okay. keeps it's you know because they've got the height advantage and they're shooting it over their head, it's hard to block, yeah, but then also just the idea that you're thinking he's gonna pass and it kind of comes as a surprise <laughs> uh but uh kind of came up with that he was a really good center uh mm-hmm. so those bucks teams yeah were were' unfortunate playing in that time period um. A good uh, a good couple of teams that were great for a specific season and just got a little bit unlucky. Uh, first would be the Houston Rockets with the Twin Towers.
2: Oh yeah, Hakeem Olajuwon and Ralph Sampson. Ralph Sampson was what seven four? Yep. I want to say and then and Olajuwon, skilled. Oh know? yeah,
1: he could shoot. He could post up. Yeah. And of course Olajuwon skilled and could do just about anything on the floor. <laughs> yeah and both of them were were pretty athletic as well so you know you you think about a twin tower team uh kind of being forced to play a slower style but they were athletic enough that you could run up and down the floor with them oh yeah uh and with two guys at 7 feet that could block shots and steal and play on the offensive end of the floor uh you really just need okay players around them and you're going to compete and uh but i guess the what was unfortunate for that team well, of course, Ralph Sampson ended up having a bunch of injuries and right. basically ended that team prematurely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, specifically the year that they were healthy and playing at their best, uh, they ran into the 1986 Celtics, who were considered one of the greatest <laughs> teams of all time.
2: Right. Again, when you run into a team that's that amazing, it's hard to run against a prime Larry Bird. <laughs> <laughs> now, with the the 86 team, Didn't they break through to the finals on like a last second? Ralph Ralph Sampson Sampson hit
1: a buzzer beater to beat the Lakers, and that was the – everyone in the world was expecting another Lakers-Celtics matchup because they had just played in two previous finals. Both teams were really good once again, Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the Rockets kind of ruined that party. (laughs) And they they were a really poor matchup for the Lakers because – I think, uh, you know, you look at Kareem at that time. He was getting a little bit older. And the Rockets have these two guys that not only match Kareem's size, <laughs> but also are a little bit more, significantly more athletic. Yeah. So that was a really challenging series for Kareem. And uh, the Lakers didn't have a lot of answers. Right, yeah. Uh, the. Well, um, oh, and another talk about two teams, the 77 Sixers and the 86 Rockets. Two teams that uh, were unfortunate to be a part of the two seasons Bill Walton was healthy. <laughs> Bill Walton, that right. 77 season was his greatest season uh, to the dismay of Sixers fans. And then 86, he gets another pretty healthy season as the sixth man on Boston right. and was the key bench piece for that Celtics team that was so dominant. <laughs> uh, but uh, then in the late 80s, you had the Detroit Pistons, who of course won the back-to-back titles in 89 and 90, right. but uh, you know they were trying to push... Through even before then, and they were a really good basketball team. The '87 Pistons lost to the Celtics on that pat, that big play where Isaiah Mm. Thomas was inbounding and Bird stole the ball, right? And the Celtics ended up advancing, pushed the uh, Pistons timetable back a year. Then in '88, the Pistons get through the Eastern Conference, but then go up against the Lakers and uh, lose in a incredibly tight seven-game series. Yeah. Game six is where Isaiah Thomas sprains his ankle and has <laughs> that 25-point uh, amazing fourth-quarter performance, mm-hmm. uh, but then they still just narrowly lose that. And then in game seven, it's another just narrow loss. James Worthy had an amazing game seven. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's where yeah. he got the nickname Big, Big game, game James. James. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, And at the end of Game 7, the Pistons were still within a possession of potentially trying to tie it and extend the game, uh, but the crowd in the forum in L.A. was basically on the court and really disrupted any final possible chance for the Pistons. Yeah. That's something you would never see in today's <laughs> game. But back then, uh, you didn't have the kind of boundaries and barrier and also security uh, right. to, to help uh, the, the game actually play out to its conclusion. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> now, the uh, going to the 90s, uh, you have those 90s Trailblazers teams. Uh, mm-hmm. with the likes of Clyde Drexler and Terry Porter and Jerome Kersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lost in the 90s finals to that amazing Bad Boy Pistons team, lost in the 92 finals to Michael Clyde Jordan 30. and the Bulls. You know, the the winner of the East was just a dominant team for <laughs> quite a few years there, and that's when the Trailblazers were, unfortunately, at their best. Right. Uh, but they're another uh, a little bit of a what-if scenario, whereas if Arvita Sabonis <laughs> had come over... He was drafted in eighty six, didn't come till ninety five. Right. But if he had come over during those early nineties Trailblazers teams that were already making the finals, making the Western Conference finals, they probably and most likely would have broken through.
2: Yeah, I I think they probably would have broken through. I mean, as as great as Jordan was, um, Man, you have a 7-4 center who can what
1: was it? Uh he could shoot like Larry Bird according to well, Bill Walton. Well, Bill Walton just described him as a 7-4 Larry Bird. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> he was an excellent passer as well. Yeah,
2: and a 6-9 Larry Bird is scary enough. <laughs> yes. Um but no, that team uh, those teams were great. They were super athletic teams. They could really, you know, uh score it up and everything. They just uh ended up going against those really good teams in the East and then also in the West with uh
1: you know Magic Johnson and the Lakers. Well, and you know having your best player be Clyde Drexler in most t- time periods would be great. Right. But when you're going up against Michael Jordan, your best player is severely at a <laughs> at a disadvantage to right. the opposing. <laughs> team's shooting guard, uh, so that was a little bit of, again, just so, some bad luck right. as, as to why they were never able to push through, uh, but another uh, singular team, like a single season team that was a little bit unfortunate was those 93 Phoenix Suns, uh, you know, the team with, that was Charles Barkley's probably best season of mm-hmm. his career, he exactly. put it all together, he got into at least decent shape. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh but uh they had Kevin Johnson a really good point guard. Dan Marley was a sharp shooter that was really good off of the when Charles got a double team, you know, hitting those shots. Yeah. Uh, they had a pretty good bench, you know, with guys like Danny Ainge yeah. and Cedric a really and, deep bench. uh yeah. yeah, just a really solid basketball team uh and that lost in a tough six game series to Chicago uh that really it could have gone either way. Oh, yeah. It comes down to the wire. Uh,
2: John Paxson ends up hitting this you know, last-second shot um, to win in, in Game 6 and everything. Very possible, if he misses that shot, that the, uh, the Suns end up winning that one. Win. Was uh, Charles Barkley uh, MVP that year? To yes, in, in he was. 93? Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm sure was extra fuel for the
1: fire for Jordan <laughs> exactly. coming in there. But, uh, yeah, it was a great team uh and not only you know that you mentioned the game 6 the John Paxson shot uh if he misses that shot and Phoenix wins game 6 that was at the time where it was the 2 3 2 format and hmm. Phoenix had home court right. so game 7 is again in Phoenix so Chicago would have had to have won on the road in game 7 right. which would have been a challenge right uh, um. and you know Phoenix unfortunately lost their first two games at home, but Charles Barkley, you know, to this day talks about how the team just wasn't was nervous. You Mm. know, it was their first finals appearance. (laughs) A lot of those guys just weren't quite ready for the moment in those first couple of games. Yeah. And the Bulls coming off back to back championships. They were the experienced team and kind of just took advantage of that. Right, uh, but but once the sun settled down, really they they were the better basketball team that
2: that series. Right, uh, I think uh, you see that too with Jordan kind of having to take more of a, a role himself and kind of leaving his team behind. He mm-hmm. ends up averaging, I want to say, like forty four points a game. And I think that's partly because you know he's going against such a great team. He's got to you know put the load on his shoulders a little bit.
1: Yeah, he averaged, I believe, forty one a game. So forty one, yeah, that series just. And, absolutely insane yeah uh you know 55 points in the one yeah another uh another charles barkley um quote he has is where he says i went into that series thinking that i was the best player you know and that that's sort of the confidence you got to have to be a great player is you got to believe even if it's a little bit irrational mm-hmm. that you are the best and he said in game two after phoenix had lost game one he's like you know what I'm not going to let us lose. I'm going to do everything in my power. And he has this great, I believe he had like a triple double and 30 plus points and this great performance. But Jordan puts up 50 plus (laughs) and you know, they lose and Charles Brockley goes, well you know, maybe I'm just not as good as this guy. You know? <laughs> right. you just have that sudden realization that as, as good as I believe I am, this guy just might be that much better. <laughs> um, but another team that was unfortunate to go against the Bulls, of course there's a lot of those right. throughout the 90s, uh, is the New York Knicks. Uh, you know, of course, with Patrick Ewing, one of mm-hmm. the greatest centers of that generation, uh, they were able to push through the Eastern Conference the year Jordan, or the first year, of Jordan's retirement, but then uh, came up against the Rockets and ended up losing that in seven games. Of course, the Knicks had a 3-2 series lead, and in game mm. six had an opportunity to win it, uh, but Hakeem Olajuwon blocks John Starks' <laughs> shot right at the end, and then the Houston wins in a pretty close game seven as well. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, the Knicks were really good from, I would say, even 92 through... About um, 96 or 97, they were a really solid basketball team, uh, and they just uh, unfortunately went up against those Bulls teams and, of course, the Rockets that were just a little bit better. Mm
2: -hmm. Is that when Pat Riley was was coaching with those early
1: 90s? Um, Because you had Pat Riley coach the 80s Lakers with the Showtime, and then it was a drastic change where in the 90s he was coaching that roughhouse (laughs) Knicks team that just wanted to beat you up. And they had the perfect crew for that. You know, Charles Oakley was the perfect enforcer. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Patrick Ewing was a pretty strong guy himself. John Starks, Anthony Mason; those guys weren't going to take uh, crap from anybody, you know. <laughs> right. uh, but uh, the yeah, they were they were really solid. They had some nice battles against the um, you know mid nineties Pacers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they just came up a little bit short. Um, the uh, The next team, uh, the mid nineties teams, we're getting to now, the ninety five Magic. Now, of course, they got swept in the finals by mm-hmm. the Houston Rockets, but This is one of those what-if teams, and we'll get to uh, the um, 2010's uh, Oklahoma City Thunder teams that another real – Big what if uh, team that could have been a dynasty. Those early or the mid 90s Magic and even into the late 90s could have been something special. You had Shaquille O'Neal who of course became uh, three three time champion with the Lakers, then won another title with the Heat in the 2000s. But then you also had Penny Hardaway who uh, you know a lot of people forget about how good Penny was because of all his injuries, but he was one of the top 10 15 players in the nba uh, when he was healthy a six you know nine point guard that could <laughs> that could shoot the ball he could handle it he was a really good athlete uh, and you know you you have an elite point guard and an elite center at that time you know it makes you an elite team oh, yeah. and then they just surrounded those two guys with great shooters <laughs> they were kind of ahead of their time in terms of their hmm. style of play because you had the likes of Dennis Scott and Nick Anderson, and even Horace Grant was a guy that could shoot out to 18, 20 right. feet. which at the time is like a stretch four. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so they had the spacing figured out before a lot of teams really did, uh, but they just uh, were a situation where maybe they were a little bit too inexperienced, a little too young, and then also the injuries kind of derailed anything that special that could have happened.
2: Right. I I really love that. What if uh, you have a healthy Magic team in '96 going against that, you know,
1: 72 and 10 Chicago Bulls team? That would yeah, be a really cool matchup. Because the Magic had just beaten the Bulls in the previous year, where Jordan had uh, you know missed the first probably two thirds of the regular season, mm-hmm. uh, you know, still on his baseball sabbatical, <laughs> and uh, then he comes back. Uh, you know, sh- looks pretty good. Like ninety percent of what he normally was. Right. Like still putting up crazy numbers. He had that fifty-five point game against New York in his fourth game back. Yeah. Uh. But then, like yeah. But then in that postseason, they go up against the Magic, and the Magic are able to beat the Bulls. And um, this was also a time when the Bulls didn't really have a good power forward because Horace Grant had left to Orlando, right. and they hadn't acquired Rodman yet. So the Bulls were a little bit weaker, a little more vulnerable, and also Jordan hadn't come off of an offseason where he was able to train properly, Uh, so the Magic were able to strike and beat them, Uh, but then of course that led to Jordan just being super motivated that he had lost, uh, which was getting pretty rare to him at that point, Uh, a rare occurrence. Um, and then they come back and are able to sweep the Magic. But again, Horace Grant gets injured in Game One of that series, so it it kind of was like uh, you know the Bulls had gotten back to full strength, and now the Magic weren't. So it just we never truly got to see the matchup where both teams were uh, were at f- uh, full power, um, which is unfortunate because that would have been fantastic to see. Uh, but certainly those magic teams would have been really great. Uh, of course, Shaq then left uh, for <laughs> the Lakers uh, in right. I believe '98. Um, but uh, then you know a couple other teams that uh, were victims of the Jordan Bulls, the late '90s Jazz with Stockton and Malone. Uh, a lot of people talk about how uh even those late 80s jazz teams mm. were really good as well with the likes of you know Stockton and Malone were kind of at their athletic peak and then you also had Mark Eaton who was a oh, 7 3 center that yeah. was one of the league's best shot blockers um but they faced those late 80s lakers teams mm-hmm. uh so they weren't able to get through uh but then they were able to um, put a different nucleus around Malone and Stockton. Once they were a little bit older, not as athletic, but of course more experienced, more grizzled veterans yeah. at that time. But then you add a guy like Jeff Hornacek and guys like Greg Ostertag, who were, wasn't very good. But um, <laughs> uh, but those teams uh, lost in back to back finals to the Bulls. But they were very competitive, entertaining series. Oh yeah, I love those ninety seven and ninety eight. Um, yeah lost in, I believe, six games in both of those series. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, uh, you know, the Stockton-Malone pick and roll is, you know, one of the more iconic uh, pick and roll combinations the NBA has ever seen. Yeah. I mean, and and it it got kind of close in the 98
2: finals as well, because um, uh, that big game where, I think it's game six, where Jordan ends up you know, hitting that last-second shot over what's his name, Byron Russell. Yep. Yeah, that little step back. Some people say there's a little push there. Yes. <laughs> um, that crossover. But um, uh, Scottie Pippen was having a lot of back problems that season, and that game in particular had to sit out for almost all of it. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if Rodman played a lot that game, so it was. And took it to a game seven. That's another one of those what ifs.
1: Yes, and. Um, you know, that uh, I do remember those Utah crowds, the Utah fan base is just fantastic, uh, oh, yeah. but the, those uh, those got pretty loud. But Michael Jordan was the one player that wasn't affected by that crowd noise, right? Uh, but certainly, those Jazz teams, uh, you know, were really good, uh, even the, the team the Bulls beat in their first uh, um, first title of the second three-peat, the 96 Seattle Supersonics, mm-hmm. uh, with the likes of Gary Payton That's and right. Sean Kemp, uh, they had a couple of decent runs uh, in the early to mid-90s as well, but again, you're going up against the likes of uh, the Charles Barkley and the Suns in 93, then in 94, 95, you've got those Rockets teams. Right. Uh, so they weren't able to push through to the finals, even though they were They were on the precipice, but then in 96, able to get through. And they did really challenge the Bulls, but it might have been another one of those situations where this is their first finals appearance. They're a little bit of a younger team. Uh, They come out of the gates a little nervous. The Bulls are very experienced. They got out to a 3-0 lead in that series. Mm. Uh, But then, I believe, in Game 4, they switch Gary Payton on to Michael Jordan and have him start guarding him. And it turned the series around and really made it pretty competitive. Right, right uh and the bulls ended up winning that in in 6 games uh but those sonics teams were were really talented and Gary Payton was really damn good he you know mm-hmm. he was such a good defensive point guard uh you know they call him the glove was <laughs> his nickname but he was great with his hands getting steals uh, oh, yeah. playing help defense uh but then you know uh, Sean Kemp as that athletic power forward. It was interesting that you know those were kind of the teams that were succeeding in the Western Conference in the '90s was those point guard power forward duos. You yeah, know, you had the Gary Payton Sean Kemp's, and then of course the Stockton Malone's. Yeah, um, but uh, I don't know what it was, but that period and that time of basketball maybe. It was the fact that the game had slowed down a little bit, and mm-hmm. that half-court pick and roll offense was was that much more important. But those teams were all just terrific at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the final uh, the final team that we'll say was a victim of Michael Jordan. I know we've done a lot of those. <laughs> uh, That's pretty much the story <laughs> of the '90s. Exactly. <laughs> yes, um, is the 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 late '90s Indiana Pacers, and also that 2000 Pacers team that lost in the finals to the Lakers. That three-year run for the Pacers, they were a pretty good basketball team. Of course, uh, you know you had Reggie Miller basically in his prime. Uh, you had uh, Dale Davis and Antonio Davis, a couple of guys that uh, you know weren't great, but they knew their role, and they were just kind of like. Uh, the Charles Oakley role with those '90s Knicks teams. Right. those guys were just the enforcers. <laughs> they just played tough. They beat you up. They would set hard physical screens. They'd do the rebounding, you know. And they would, uh, if you got to the basket, they would foul you really hard, hmm. uh, you know. And you needed those guys on the during the '80s and '90s. You needed those types of players. Oh yeah. Uh, and then you also had the likes of Mark Jackson, who was a really good. Um, guy at orchestrating the offense, uh, you know, one of the all time assist leaders in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Then you had at center, you had a Rick Smith who, uh, you know, at a crazy height was actually pretty skilled, could shoot the basketball yeah. a little bit. Uh, and then you had a Chris Mullen, an older shooting guard that could really stroke it. his whole career. He was Amazing one shooter. of the greatest shooters of all time. And then you had a young, young Jalen Rose that was uh, coming around uh, a guy that could score the basketball pretty well. Uh, so those teams were pretty good. They uh, The 98 Pacers lost to the Bulls in seven games. Uh, that was one of those game sevens. It was really close, but it just uh, came down to a force of will. And, you know, when it comes down to that, there's nobody that quite beats Michael Jordan. He just, uh, he just wanted it just a little bit more, and that was really all that mattered. They were that evenly matched. Mm-hmm. And then in 2000, you know, the Pacers just couldn't handle the likes of uh, Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not too many teams S- could. Safe to that Yeah. <laughs> um, now, moving into the 2000s, uh, you had a couple of victims of the Lakers. Of course, we just mentioned the 2000 Pacers were a victim in the finals. Uh, but in the Western Conference finals, the 2000 Portland Trailblazers were a victim. Uh, they were up, I believe, 18 points heading into the fourth quarter yeah. against the Lakers in Game Seven, ready to go to the finals. That was uh, a Blazers team that had Arvita Sabonis, who you know was definitely slower at that time. He had had a, a, quite a few injuries, uh, but he was still a guy that could hit a three, you know, which could bring Shack away from the basket. He was still a good passer, mm-hmm. still was a big body, obviously uh so he could rebound well uh but then you had a young Rashid Wallace who was a really talented post up player uh and then you had the likes of some veteran presences in Scotty Pippen yeah. who you know now that the Bulls thing had erupted uh <laughs> you know um had dissipated cuz Jordan retired and Phil Jackson left for the pace or for the Lakers uh he he joined the Blazers and then uh you know he was a pretty steadying force a good veteran presence and then you also had Steve Smith who was a really good player throughout the 90s That's right. yeah. uh that was past his prime but still a pretty solid player uh they just had you know Damon uh um Stoudemire, uh was another uh, a small point guard that was really quick uh that uh you know was able to get them some transition baskets Uh, That was a team that, you know, didn't have any stars, but just had a really good collection of players that fit and, uh, you know, all knew how to play the game. Right. And, uh, you know, they ended up, uh, yeah, of course, losing in seven to the Lakers. And because they were a little bit older, uh, that was basically their last run. Uh, but then the Lakers, in their third title season, were able to get through the 2002 Sacramento Kings. <laughs> this, to me, might be the um, the biggest example of a team that didn't win the title that deserved it. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the 2002 Kings had Chris Weber in his prime. Uh, he was a you know a power forward that was one of the better big man passers in the game. Could hit a mid range shot. Was a pretty good post up player. Had a good right hand jump hook. Uh, You also had Vladi Devox, who was a good big man (laughs) passer as well. And when you had, at that time, you know, there weren't a lot of teams that had even one big man that could pass. But because the Kings had two, they kind of inverted their offense where the big guys were playing on the perimeter because they both could shoot and pass. And then that allowed for the perimeter guys to back cut. And you know, play around the basket a little bit more, and it opened up the whole floor. And they just played a beautiful style of basketball that was really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were, uh, you know, the victims of arguably the worst <laughs> officiated game in NBA history yeah. in Game Six. Uh, you know, there's a YouTube series called like the, you know, the biggest tragedy, tragedy in, in sports. sports. Uh, that I urge everyone to watch that, uh, you know, details some of those blown calls and all the things that had to happen for the Kings to lose that series. They ended up losing it in Game 7 in overtime. Uh, But Game (laughs) 6, yeah, in Game 6 they lost, uh, you know, by about 5 or 6 points. Uh, But, you know, the referees probably, um, you know, altered the game by, I would say, 15 points at least just with a bunch of horrendous horrendous calls, and again, uh, we mentioned that on the last episode, that we're going to get around to watching that series and have an episode just about that, because oh, yeah. that's how crazy and competitive the, that series was. I think Game 3 uh, was a one-possession game. Game 4 was the Robert Ory game-winning shot at the buzzer. Mm. Uh, that was where the Kings were up two, and... Uh, Kobe Bryant uh, was trying to go up to tie the game in the closing seconds. He missed. Shaquille O'Neal got the offensive rebound. He missed. Vlade Divac trying to just get the ball out of there. <laughs> bats it out to the three-point line. And for some reason, Robert <laughs> Ory is standing there. Right. Not helping his team at all. In right. Mind. you know, <laughs> For in, a rebound. In any other situation, uh, you know, Lakers fans would have every right to yell at Robert Ory and say, why weren't you in there trying to get the rebound to help us win? He's just standing there all by himself. And here's the crazy part is the ball wasn't, it didn't bounce like a foot to his left or a foot to his right. It bounced like it was the perfect pass. Like D-Vox was like, here you go, here's my, give give me my assist. (laughs) And and he knocked it down as the, the buzzer sounded. Uh but just like just absolute craziness that they lost that game, and then game five, the kings end up winning on a buzzer beater, and then you know to go up three two game six they lose because of the horrible right. officiating, then game seven you lose in overtime it just one of the craziest series that have ever happened, oh yeah. uh, but I don't think you can watch that series and not come to the conclusion that the kings were the better team and just yeah. got robbed. Uh, so that, uh, and the Lakers ended up going into the finals, and I think they swept uh, the uh, New Jersey Nets, yeah. So I'm pretty confident the Kings could have done a similar thing to the Nets as well. I agree. Uh, so going to the mid 2000s, now you had, uh, you know, the, the Spurs, even though they were able to win in 03, 05, and 07, uh, the couple of years in between those three titles, they were actually super ext- close. Super close. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's not, that's uh, something a lot of people don't talk about with Tim Duncan, you know, and his legacy is, you know, he won five titles, but then in 04, 06, and then even in 2013, which we'll get to, uh, he came so, oh, so very close. Uh, but, of course, in 04, you had the Western Conference semifinal series against the Lakers, where oh, right. uh, in game five, the series is tied at two, Tim Duncan hits a crazy fadeaway shot from about 20 feet to put the Spurs up one with a .4 left on the clock. Lakers call timeout. Everyone thinks the game is over. Uh, They inbounded to Derek Fisher. He catches it, turns and shoots all in one motion and supposedly (laughs) gets the shot off in time. I personally don't think he did. It's one of those things where... It's so close, yeah. Right. When you look at just the clock on the replay sure he he uh, the ball is off of his fingertips before the clock says 0.0 right. but in a situation like that the scorekeeper determines whether uh you know he's got to time it so that right when he catches the ball he starts the clock right because any um, you know, moment of hesitation right. there determines whether he gets it off or the clock tur- turns zero before he does. Right. And I think just with a, a human being doing that, there's going <laughs> to be a small amount of time before he reacts. Totally. And uh, that can be the difference, especially with 0. .4 seconds right. between getting the shot off and not. Say it was like 0. .1 extra <laughs> amount of time that that scorekeeper was there. Yeah. Right. And reacting in .1 seconds is actually pretty good. Right. Uh, but right. it's not good enough in that scenario. Right. Um. So they that was the crucial game five that either puts the Spurs up three two or the Lakers up three two, and that often determines who wins the series is that two two game. Um. But uh, so they they lose in in two thousand four like that, and then in two thousand six, uh, in Game Seven against the Dallas Mavericks. They're up uh, three points uh, with uh, under 24 seconds left on the game clock. And Dirk Nowitzki goes in for a layup for Dallas, which would only get them within a point. The Spurs would still have a one-point lead with possession, Right. but Manu Ginobili... Fouls Dirk Nowitzki sends him to, Dirk makes the shot obviously hits yeah. the free throw game goes to overtime Dallas wins and then Dallas goes to the finals and and uh, you know that 06 Mavericks team should probably make our list as well we didn't write hmm. them down but uh they got kind of robbed by the officials in that 06 finals because Dwayne Wade oh. ended up shooting about I mean, this is uh, clearly clean, an exaggeration, uh, so. but he ended up, it felt like he shot 30 free throws a game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, he was at the foul line the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, so those Spurs teams in 04 and 06 were extremely close. Uh, and then... Uh, you had a couple of victims of the Spurs that uh, that were really good basketball teams as well. The '05 Pistons, the the Detroit team that was coming off the title in '04, they were super confident. Again, one of the better defensive teams, you know, with Chauncey oh, yeah. Billups, Richard Hamilton, Tayshawn Prince, um, you know, and then you had the two Wallaces, Ben Wallace, ben Wallace and Rasheed Wallace. Rashid mm-hmm. Wallace. Uh, that was a really balanced team, not great offensively, but so dominant on the defensive end. Uh, that it made up for any uh, deficiencies on the other end of the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they ended up losing to the Spurs in seven games. That was a really competitive series. Game five in Detroit, Robert Ory hits a three, of course. Again. Big shot, Bob. Robert <laughs> Ory, uh, you know, broke so many teams' heart over oh, yeah. the years. Uh and you know, he hits that shot to win the Game 5 for the Spurs that really turned the tide. Uh, Detroit won Game 6 to send it to a Game 7, but Game 7 being in San Antonio was just a little bit too much to overcome. Uh, but those that 2005 Pistons team may have even been better than the 4 team that won the title mm. just going up against a really, really talented Spurs team with Tim Duncan basically in his absolute prime. Yeah. A little bit too much to overcome. Uh, the the 2007 Phoenix Suns, uh, the seven seconds or less Suns with Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire, Sean Marion, uh, they were a team that uh, this this seemed like the team that Phoenix, you know, they had been good for a couple of years, uh, but uh, Amari Stoudemire was really young on that O five team. Uh, in '06, Stoudemire gets hurt, so they have to play without him. '07, he returns. Uh, it seems like okay, this is the year they're going to put it all together. They have a great regular season. I think they won sixty plus games. Yeah. Uh, and they go up against San Antonio, and it's another situation where the game five determined everything. But I believe it was in game uh, in game four you have uh, a collision, and again, this was Robert Ory not hitting a clutch shot, but doing something that helped his team win, he basically body-checked Steve Nash into the scorer's table, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, of course, a lot of the Phoenix Suns players were upset about it, Amari Stoudemire and Boris Diaw come off the bench to, you know, to to go to the altercation that's going on, Mm -hmm. and... Of course, the NBA rules is that you can't leave the bench during a fight, right. uh, and that rule I believe was set up after the whole um, Ron Artest melee in Detroit. Right. They didn't want uh, they didn't want that stuff going on. They the NBA has continuously tried to clean up its image that it's not you know, a league that players beat each other up and that sort right. of thing. So trying to prevent players from coming towards a fight is is just another way to try to prevent a thing from breaking out into a big brawl. Right. Uh, but that uh, that rule was pretty unfortunate because Boris Diaw and Amari Stoudemire didn't really do anything. They just stepped onto the court. to right. so just protect their uh, player. And, yeah. uh, and so they were suspended then for Game 5, which the Suns lost ended up losing the series in six. But, that, again, that game five is so crucial to determine who gets the advantage in the series. Uh, but those Suns teams were, you know, some of the best offensive teams we've ever seen in the league. And oh, you're yeah. seeing most of the NBA teams now uh, playing style. like yeah. they did. Um, you know, with Amari Stoudemire as an undersized center and Sean Marion is an undersized power forward with a bunch of shooting. That's what everybody's doing, and that's what's been super successful. Um but, yeah, moving into the this uh, current decade that we're in, the 2010 Celtics, uh, they were, uh, you know, they ended up losing the NBA Finals in Game 7 uh, mm-hmm. to the Lakers. Game 6, their starting center, Kendrick Perkins, uh, hurts his knee and is out for Game 7. And the Lakers had those twin towers of Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum. That's right. And in Game 7, they had just, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but just a ton of offensive rebounds. Yeah. And it was a really low-scoring game. Oh, yeah. And those offensive rebounds were the difference uh, yeah. between the Lakers winning and the Celtics pulling it out. Kobe shot horrible that yes, game, right? Um, Horribly. There was a classic situation where Doc Rivers and Tom Thibodeau came up with this great strategy of, we're going to double Kobe Bryant because we know who the type of player he is, the type of competitor he is, he's going to want to win it himself. Mm. And so they just kept sending double teams and double teams, and he kept jacking up contested shot after contested shot. Uh, And if it wasn't for those offensive rebounds, that would have cost them the title. Uh, So, you know, those that 2010 Celtics teams was oh so close. And, you know, that, that big three of Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce and Ray Allen, they they were good enough that they probably should have won more than a single championship. But oh, yeah. Kevin Garnett getting hurt in 2009, getting the unfortunate loss in 2010, and then just at age, uh, they were only able to pull off that one title. Right, right. Uh, the one of the more recent uh, ones, of course, the 2013 San Antonio Spurs. Uh, that team was excellent just about by every measurement. Uh, you know, you've got Kawhi Leonard coming into his own, uh, you've got Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker still more towards the back end of their primes, uh, Tim Duncan, even though he was pretty old at this point, still Still. super effective, uh, they were just a really good basketball team and, you know, they had game six basically won to win the series, Four to two over Miami. Uh, They're up five with, what was it, I think 28.9 seconds to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, Manu Ginobili misses one of two free throws. Uh, The Heat come down, hit a three. Kawhi Leonard misses one of two free throws. The Heat come down, miss a shot. Uh, Chris Bosh with the offensive rebound kicks it to Ray Allen, and (laughs) Ray Allen nails the tying three uh, with just a few seconds to go. They end up losing in overtime of game six then in game 7 also super close but lebron has a terrific performance and pulls the heat through Yeah. Um, but that 2013 spurs team was so superb and they came back motivated the next year we were able to win and really humiliate Miami beating <laughs> blowing them out most of the time oh yeah um, but yeah that that 2013 spurs team was excellent and and that they lost to another great team that was probably the best Miami Heat team in that Wade-LeBron-Bosch trio because you had the likes of Battier and Ray Allen that really added a lot to their um, depth. And then you've also had, that was probably LeBron's greatest overall season as well. Yeah, Uh, But uh, they were, uh, you know, that team was excellent. And then you know, most recently talking more about the present uh, present day, uh, and you've seen a couple of the more recent finals. Right. Uh, the the losers of the last two finals have been really excellent. <laughs> oh yeah, the
2: Warriors and the Cavs have been amazing
1: for like every finals that
2: they've been in recently.
1: Yeah, the uh, the the 2016 Warriors, of course. You've got the K- Stephen Curry injury. Uh, In the second round, or excuse me, the first round against Houston, where he slips on some sweat of uh, DeMontis Montiunis sliding across the floor and he gets an MCL sprain, isn't ever fully 100%. And then in game five, uh, Draymond Green gets suspended for... Uh, you know, hitting LeBron in the in the balls That's with his right. uh, the, his bat with a backhand, right? Uh, and then uh, you know, but that was a team that won seventy three games, yeah, broke the record, yes, <laughs> and uh, you know, had to go through a, a real brutal series in the Western Conference Finals against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, but then even then, it took everything the Cavs had to beat them in in seven full games, and it yeah. was a possession by possession game coming down to the end.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, LeBron had to come up really big, Irving had to come up really big, and it
1: still was close. Yeah. Yeah. LeBron had that famous block off the backboard on Andre Iguodala. Incredible. (laughs) One of the greatest defensive plays in finals history, for sure. Yeah. Uh, And uh, then, of course, the 2017 Cavs, who lost to this juggernaut that is the (laughs) Warriors currently. And, uh, you know... By any statistical measurement, what the Cavs did offensively this past season is one of the greatest performances ever. They were really unstoppable. It was just a matter of their defense was weak, and they were facing a somehow (laughs) even more unstoppable offense (laughs) at Golden State, Uh, but you know... People might have looked at the scores of those of this most recent finals and say 130 to 120. Well, there is no defense being played. <laughs> that wasn't true at all. Like oh, yeah. both teams were trying. It's just when you have that much talent on the floor, it's just that hard. It's that uh, that much more difficult to stop.
2: Oh yeah, I I truly believe that if the Cavs were playing against anyone else in the last finals, we'd be talking about the 17 Cavs as one of the greatest teams to right. ever play. Right. Um, They just went against an even greater greatest team
1: (laughs) with the Warriors. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So uh, that's basically all of the greatest teams we were going to cover. I did also want to Hmm. just go into it a little bit in terms of uh, just individual players and some of the greatest players that have played. Because, of course, it's a team sport and you know in basketball because there's only 5 guys on the floor one player can impact it a lot but there's a lot of guys that just never had any help whatsoever uh and just weren't able to get uh, get through and win a championship uh so when it comes to just some of the greatest players that were never able to win a championship themselves uh, who comes to mind for you uh charles barkley is one of my favorite players yep. and so it was really sad to see him
2: go the whole way and Never break through. Right. He was amazing in his prime.
1: Yes, he was. And, you know, he started on uh, the Sixers, and he got to play on the back end of Moses Malone and Dr. J's careers. Uh, but they were a little bit too old uh, to truly compete. I think they made, they might have made the conference finals in 85, um, but that was as close as they ever got. Uh, but mm-hmm. then those two guys moved on, and Charles Barkley was stuck on some <laughs> crappy Philadelphia teams uh, through the late 80s, uh, and even into the early 90s, when he was becoming great, he carried some Sixers teams into the playoffs that weren't very good. Right. Uh, and then, of course, in 93, he pushes through with a little bit better supporting cast in Phoenix, uh, but then just isn't quite able to beat Chicago because of Michael Jordan's brilliance. Right. Uh, but, yeah, certainly he is one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Guy that was, you know, one of the best rebounders ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people forget that young Charles oh, yeah. just a terror. Yeah. You know, him coming full speed at you. He was fast and strong and huge. Yeah. People just got out of his way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Or they were going to get run over. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
2: And he was like six six, and he's battling, you know, seven-footers, you know, for the rebound. It's insane.
1: Right. Um, and... Uh so you know one of the guys that comes to mind for me uh that uh, you know was really excellent is another power forward in Karl Malone mm, a guy that right. uh, is the second leading scorer in the history of the league was never able to win a title uh but for you know 20 plus years averaging 20 points a game just super consistent yeah. um but uh i guess the one fault of Karl Malone was, you know, he wasn't really considered that clutch. And in those Mm. finals against the Bulls, of course, there was that sequence in Jordan's final game where he steals the ball from Malone, goes down, and, you know, hits the game-winning shot. Uh, But then there was also another game in one of those finals where Malone missed a couple of free throws that could have cinched it as well. Honestly,
2: that was 97 but I can't remember, yeah that, yeah
1: that's probably right but um so he was a guy that had all the talent in the world was such a great player for so long uh, but uh you know for one reason or another wasn't on you know too many fantastic teams and also you know didn't come through as much as you would hope in in those pressure situations totally um, but uh, John, Stockton, John Stockton, another guy, right, yeah. his running mate, uh, you know, it's amazing that those two guys happen to play on the same team. They were both really good. I wouldn't say they were ever top two or three best players in right. the league, but they were both top 10, top 15 guys for a couple of decades. Yeah. That's what's crazy. Super
2: consistent, super durable.
1: Like. Yes, uh, and of course, Stockton, because of that durability, all time leader in assists and yeah. steals.
2: Like by far. Yes. Like both of them. It's uh, insane.
1: Yep. And so he's a guy uh, that a lot of people think about. Of course, Reggie Miller. Mm-hmm. Is a guy that you know. He's even maybe a tier below Stockton and Malone in terms of yeah. how good he was, but he certainly was a guy that came up big in the clutch oh, and yeah. played on some pretty good teams that just weren't quite good enough to to uh, push through. Right. Uh, but he's another guy. Of course, we mentioned Patrick Ewing of those Knicks teams, and uh, you know the team that just failed to to beat the Rockets in in '94. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you've got some other guys that. Uh, A guy that I like to talk about that uh, nobody really ever discusses in a Hmm. best players ever list is Mitch Richmond. Oh. Uh, He was a guy that played on those run TMC uh, Golden State teams with Tim Hardaway, Chris Mullen, and Mitch Richmond. And, you know, they made the second round of the playoffs in, I believe, 91 where they lost to the Lakers and the Lakers team that made the finals. Right. Uh, But, uh, Mitch Richmond uh, has been considered, but Jordan actually had a exactly. quote saying that he was the toughest guy, uh, toughest matchup that he's ever had to go up against. Uh, and at the shooting guard position, we just talked
2: about Clyde Drexler before, <laughs> right? Who who did go to the finals yep. a few times, and uh, yeah. That's that's insane. Yeah, Mitch Richmond was amazing.
1: Yeah, he consistently scored, you know, 20 plus points. Was also, you know, he was a two way player. He yeah, was a really good defender as well. Uh, but he just was after those run TMC teams. He played on Sacramento and was just stuck on horrible Kings team after horrible Kings team, and uh, you know he gets kind of overlooked. Uh, in some of those debates, right um you know a guy like Bernard King was an excellent oh, player York, uh for a couple yeah. of seasons, had some injuries, but uh you know didn't play on many great teams either uh but uh you know there's there's players littered throughout the history of the league uh that uh, were really excellent players, Adrian dantley uh mm-hmm. you know in the eighties Pistons teams. He was playing on the Pistons all the way up, you know, on those teams that were getting super close. Yeah, was on the Pistons team that lost in Game Seven to LA, but then they traded him for Mark Aguire, and Aguire got to reap the benefits of the, <laughs> right. the process that you know um, that Dantley had uh, had built. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got you've got stories of that all over the league, and uh, you know, um, I think. Because of those players and how they're criticized for not winning championships, you see now how all of these guys are going out of their way like a Kevin Durant to make sure he's on these great teams that are favored to win it. Right. Uh, and you can't
2: really blame them. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, it's hard to watch people kind of that were amazing get kind of forgotten
1: mm-hmm. in history
2: just because they didn't win a title. So yeah. it, that would have to cross your mind if you're thinking about which team to play for especially when you're having to choose between living in oklahoma city versus golden state <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly I, I would pick california too right sorry oklahoma <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> san francisco is a really a really fun place to be in um yeah for a variety of reasons over oklahoma city um uh, <laughs> but uh yeah, uh, that's basically all we have in terms of, yeah, the greatest uh, teams to not win and greatest players to not win. Uh, I like doing this sort of thing because I feel like that's one of the main goals of us doing this podcast is to not just focus on, okay, you can look up who won the 2013 title, but to me it's more than it's got to be more than just a black or white thing right in my mind i think oh those 2013 spurs were pretty much co-champions you right. know <laughs> um there are um i like to measure things you know certain championships have more value than others and yeah. certain players accomplishing something it's more impressive than someone doing something else you know dirk Nowitzki winning the 2011 title right. uh, with uh you know a Slightly above average, but not great supporting cast is more impressive than you know what Kevin Durant accomplished <laughs> this year with his all star teammates exactly. um but that that uh that's what I'm hoping to do more of and kind of the goal of this podcast and I think we're both pretty good at knowing that um, the details matter, you know, right. and remembering uh the teams that came up just short and remembering the players that were. Um, you know, really good, but for whatever reason weren't, uh, you know, celebrated within the media because they were on a bad team or because they got an injury, mm-hmm. you know. And, and all of that is uh, part of the reason why sports are so interesting is because there's so many of those what-if questions that are so interesting to think about. Oh, yeah. So that's uh, that's all we have for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. For Anthony Brown, I am Garrett Bouguet. This is Duncan Dynasty.